Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable high-speed internet. Today, I'm joined by Evan Dixon, president of Global Fixed Broadband at Viasat, a longtime provider of satellite internet services. Evan and I discussed the role of satellite in addressing the digital divide, how Viasat is connecting people in Mexico and elsewhere through its community internet offering, and why Evan says the fiber industry is wrong to suggest that satellite isn't future-proof. Evan, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Nicole. So tell me a bit about your role at Viasat and where the company provides satellite internet service to homes and businesses. Yeah, sure. Let me take a step back first and just introduce Viasat to your audience. uh, Sure. For those of them that might not know the company. But um, Viasat has been in this game of providing internet from space uh, for a long time. We were founded uh, about 35 years ago. we are now uh, have a market cap of over $4 billion. Um, over the last year, we've done about $2.5 billion in revenue. And that revenue comes from primarily three different sources. Um, first is our, our government services, which is um, provided to, to governments and militaries, all sorts of critical telecommunications um, e- equipment and services to um, around the world um, to, to government clients. Um, Next is our in-flight Wi-Fi business, um, which we call Mobility, um, which uh, we have such large partners as um, American Airlines and Delta Airlines and America and uh, and United Airlines, et cetera, that um, that rely on us to provide in-flight Wi-Fi to their passengers. And of course, that business, um, as you might imagine, over the last year during the pandemic, um, took a hit. It's tough for people to buy internet on airplanes when uh, when they're not flying, right? So true, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's that. Actually, that's what one of the beauties, though, of Viasat having a diverse portfolio, because um, while our in-flight Wi-Fi business suffered over the last year and it's coming back really well, um, our fixed broadband business, which is the third leg to that stool, um, uh, in terms of what's making uh, the revenue at two and a half billion dollars a year. Um, performed really, really well um, over the last year, um, and the fixed services business, which is, which is uh, primarily residential, but also providing um, some business and enterprise services. Um, uh, effectively, we're an ISP that provides internet, um, better internet to people that live outside of the fiber footprint. Um, so, if you live outside of um, urban areas, you don't have cable or fiber available to you. Um, we we'd like to think that we're your best option. Um, and that's where our that's where our sweet spot is in the United States and in other parts around the world. So, and then to your question of my role, my, my role is running uh, that third leg of the stool. The, uh, I'm the president of the global fixed broadband business at Viasat, which makes you the perfect person to talk to me. So, um, about the the point you were just making, uh, uh, how much of your business um, is particularly geared toward those who are outside of the fiber and cable footprint area? How much of Viasat is specifically in those areas where fiber and cable don't exist? Sure. So the, the nature of, uh, of of satellite as a technology is that it blankets, you know, so our satellite over the United States, it blankets the entire United States. So right. whether you're in Manhattan or whether you're in the middle of Montana um, in, in, in a very sparsely populated area, you can get Viasat service. It, it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty 
easy tagline that we have um, in every market we launch, which is if you can see the sky, you can get Viasat. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it makes it easy. But of course, um, our sweet spot in the, 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 of, of the market that we are targeting is not in Manhattan. It is right. in those places that are less densely populated. Um, and so, um, so today, if um, everybody in the United States can get Viasat service, um, and it just so happens that the people that are getting it are the people that do live outside of that footprint. Um, and we like to concentrate, we, we absolutely concentrate our capacity and our resources on those areas where we have higher demand um, and shift them away from places where they're already served by um, faster terrestrial broadband uh, options. Got it. And what kind of speeds are you getting in those areas? So today we have speeds up to 100 megabits per second. Um, we have, um, and th that's not available in 100% of the country, um, but it will be when Viset 3 launches. Um, uh, but everywhere we have, every part of the country, we um, meet the threshold of the broadband definition of 25 megabits per second, mm -hmm. um, which is the FCC's definition of that. Um, so we offer that everywhere. Um, all of our plans that we offer today are unlimited um, in terms of data, and I should I should I should I should, uh, should make sure and caveat that with um, they have uh, we have a concept of priority data and standard data, um, and so priority data would be you have a certain amount of data with your package that means you're prioritized um, and it's high speed data, um, and once you pass that threshold. Um, we, you can still continue to use the internet um, as much as you want. You will not be charged anything more. It is unlimited, but you could be deprioritized in terms of your speeds, um, depending on the time of day. And if there are other people um, that are using it that are under their priority data limit that may be congesting the network. So, Okay, gotcha. And you, I think you mentioned something about Viasat 3. Is that something that's coming? Yeah, sure. So, uh, so Viasat three actually is a constellation of three satellites okay. um, that will begin launching. The first one of those will launch over the Americas early next year. Um, then the next one, about six months after that, will launch over EMEA, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And the third one will launch over APAC, Asia, Asia Pacific, about six months after that. Those three satellites will each contain about one terabit per second of capacity each, and will blanket the visible Earth. Um, so you could be a Biosat subscriber in Australia or, or the US, et cetera, or you can get on a plane, go all the way around the world and be connected to Biosat internet the entire time um, okay. without having to switch, switch providers. Um, so we're very excited about that to be the first truly global ISP on the, on the ground and in the air. Yeah, that's that's pretty exciting. Um, so as we've kind of been talking about, satellite broadband by its nature is, you know, is specific to the digital divide because you guys are servicing areas where other types of service won't or or, or typically aren't. Um, but you also have something called the community internet offering, which does seem to, to specifically seek to tackle the digital divide outside of the U.S. So can you talk to me more about what that is, how it works and, and where it's active? Yeah, certainly. So um, in every market we're in, the, the goal is to provide affordable internet service to people that are in hard to reach places for terrestrial mm -hmm. options. And so um, in the U.S., that's primarily a residential product. We put a satellite dish on the roof and it provides uh, connectivity to that household. Um, in, in many parts of Latin America, Africa and in Southeast Asia, et cetera, um, the better model in terms of providing affordable service, service that people can purchase for 50 cents a session um, or so. Um, the, the option that does that for us is a technology that we have called community internet. 
Um, and effectively what we do is we take satellite, we beam that satellite down into a particular uh, community, and then we propagate Wi-Fi across that entire town. Um, and so people on whatever device they have can connect to internet and pay per session. They can pay um, for a movie, they can pay for um, watch, you know, for a full month, et cetera. Um, and we make it affordable um, so that anybody can connect. And we've, we've, we found that that truly is the way to uh, penetrate a lot, of, a lot of the world outside of areas like Western Europe and in the United States that um, that model won't necessarily work. Um, and just looking at, you know, we, we've got this model launched in many countries around the world, but uh, the one that we have the most progress in right now is in, is in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And in Mexico, for example, um, just in the last month um, and consistently month over month, we've got about 100,000 monthly active users, MAUs, um, that are logging in every month into Viasat Internet and rely on Viasat Internet for that connectivity. Um, wow. And so having a, a very large impact on these communities. And, and it's not just to allow these uh, communities to watch Netflix or, or, or play games. Um, it's allowing them to connect to cr critical services such as yeah. telemedicine, which was very important during this pandemic and still is, um, schooling from home. Um, so it was absolutely really important during this pandemic. Um, working from home, right, which is very, very important. Um, when you travel into the, some of these communities that, you know, have been hit hardest in South America and, and Mexico during this dur during this pandemic, um, where uh, there's there is no schooling, and the only way for um, these uh, a lot of these kids to learn is 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 through a, an internet connection, and they don't have it. To be able to provide that is incredibly rewarding, and to be able to provide it and at at an affordable price to them, uh, it, it, it helps everybody here get up in the morning and feel good about what we're doing. Yeah, that's fantastic. And those are great numbers um, to, to see already. Um, how So when you say affordable, what is the cost to the, the people who are subscribing? And how do you make this affordable in, in this, this particular model? And um, same question kind of in the US, what what are people paying for their internet service here? And do you participate in any of the, you know, uh, affordability, um, you know, like the EBB or, or anything else like that? Yeah, sure. So so first, in terms of uh, the, the cost of the service, um, for example, in, in Mexico, there's 100,000 mm -hmm. uh, MAUs, what, what are they paying? It the, the answer is it depends, right? So they could people could pay for a day and they could pay for a day for, you know, uh, for for less than a dollar, um, they can pay to watch one movie. They could pay for a full month. So it depends. But on average, it's it's about a couple bucks a month, right? Um, in terms of what people pay, um, so it's 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 not a lot of money. In in the um, in in the U.S., um, much much higher ARPUs, right? Well well over well over. We have services um, are most parts of the United States are are our opening price point is fifty dollars. Mm -hmm. and that goes all the way up to $150 on the high end. Um, and so in which in people are basically paying for speed and they're paying for data uh, on those packages. So they're paying for, um, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a bit more money, obviously, when you have a single terminal on a home versus one terminal for an entire community. And so when you asked, you know, how are we able to make it that affordable with our community internet? Uh, really what it is, is that um, we have a single terminal that we share across many people and so you're able to take that capex and spread it across many people instead of having it all that capex being ha having to have paid back by one household. 
Is that not a model that could work in super rural communities here in the U.S.? It, it absolutely can. Um, it's it's not something that we are we are actively in the market on, um, but it's it's certainly a consideration we've looked at. Um, one of the difficulties there, though, is that in the U.S. in rural areas, uh, and I'm speaking very generally here, mm -hmm. but towns tend to be um, households tend to be far apart, um, yeah. right? And so you have l large acreage home every half mile or so, right? And again, I'm speaking generally here. Whereas in much of um, the towns, the unserved towns that we're serving, like in Nigeria right now, we have, you know, we're, we've taken off there in, in, in almost a dozen towns in, in Nigeria and in the towns that we're in in, in Mexico, these are, these are rural communities, but densely populated yeah. rural communities, yeah. which makes it much easier for us to extend Wi-Fi around that area instead of reaching 10 homes over, the, over a square mile in the United States, which makes it more difficult right. for that model. In that sense, it might even be better for a an urban community that's struggling with affordability problems rather than um, with connectivity problems. You, you're absolutely right, um, and it's one of the things that we've, we we all saw during this pandemic um, that the amount everything that the FCC has said in terms of the amount of people that uh, that don't have access to broadband, which they currently say 19 million households don't have access to broadband. Way more than that. It's, I think we all saw during the pandemic, it's way more than that. Um, so to the point where there were, there were urban communities where there were buses that were having to drive in with some, with the satellite antenna to bring in, uh, to bring in internet into these communities. So it's, it's much larger than that. I think we all, we all recognize that. And there are a lot of errors with how they're doing their calculation to arrive at only 19 million. That's why we feel really good about the long-term viability of this market um, for, for Viasat, but absolutely we could bring this technology tomorrow into, yeah. into an urban area. And I, I think just to add one other point to that, um, whenever we have discussions in Washington, um, when we're talking with some of our, some of our leaders in Washington about you know, how we'll, they'll say, how long will it take you to serve my community? We'll say, tomorrow. Um, mm -hmm. we can, our satellite's already up in the air and we can, we can install in, in less than a couple hours, we can install, um, internet with wifi across an entire town. Um, we can, it, it, and we can do that immediately. It, we are not having to dig trenches, rip up roads, hedges, etc. Um, and over multi-year projects to bring broadband, fast quality broadband to people. So it's, it's something, it's a message that we continue to try to hammer home to Washington. I, I think that serves as the counterpoint to what I was just going to ask you about, because there are others in the industry going to Washington saying the opposite, that satellite shouldn't be getting um, money and subsidies uh, to build out uh, the remaining uh, parts of the U.S. that are underserved because it's not a future-proof technology. It cannot achieve the speeds that fiber can. And, um, you know, we shouldn't be cluttering the skies with uh, satellites. So do you have more to say uh, to offer a counterpoint to, to that? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's it's not surprising our competitors are saying that, right? Um, so uh, that, that's, <laughs> that's uh, how things work. Yes. That's how things work, right? Yeah. So um, so you know, take all that with a grain of salt. But sure. but I think it's it, it, it is really important to say though, just because uh, fiber is able to offer today a faster speed than satellite doesn't doesn't mean the fiber is the only solution. Um, mm -hmm. So for 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 the U.S. government to support, there's a reason why. There are more than 20, you know, the FCC says 19 million. I think we're both saying that it's quite a bit more than that, yes. um, that there's a reason why those people are not served. And the reason is because of economics. Um, mm -hmm. And it's because it's never made sense to telcos and cable companies to go and spend the amount of money it's going to take to go into 
to sparsely populated areas and bring fiber because there's not enough revenue they can get for all the capital they'd have to spend to bring out the, the technology there. Um, and so what, what we've always said is that uh, we don't, we, we certainly don't, we don't compete and we don't want to compete with fiber and cable. We want to be a complement to the solution in the United States and around the world to serve the less densely populated areas, right? Mm -hmm. So we, it should be a bouquet of options that's bringing broadband to connect all the unconnected people in the United States. And it shouldn't just be one technology. And if it is one technology, that would be a shame because it's going to cost the U.S. taxpayers a lot of money and it's going to take a long time um, in order to achieve that, whereas we have a solution today. It doesn't look like it will be one technology if this this broadband bill does ultimately get passed the, intact. Um, are you pleased with how the details of that have shaken out? We're, we're watching it closely. Um, it's not it, it's there's, there's a whole lot of money out there um, yeah. that's being discussed uh, to fund broadband. There's the EBB, which we are a part of. Um, right. right. Oh, now. yeah. To go back to and, that. Yes. Yeah. So we, we are a part of the emergency broadband fund today. Um, and so um, and, and, uh, and so we, we think that that's a that's a good way to go about it, to provide, make the money go directly to the consumer and how the consumer save money instead of the money go to the infrastructure to build it out. Um, put the money directly in into into our citizens' pockets um, mm -hmm. on this to save money and make it more affordable. We think that's a good model. Um, we're watching closely how the final the, the final language is written on the infrastructure bill and others that are bringing up to sixty five billion to broadband. I'm not sure where it'll end up, um, but I think our, our our message is we don't want to be written out, um, right. and uh, we we want to make sure that we're able to take part in these funds and. Those, those funds are not written solely for fiber to take part in because of their lobbying efforts. Very well said. Uh, very good. Um, let me round this out with one last question for you. We touched a little bit on the pandemic, but um, it's changed literally everything about how we live and work um, and think and, and panic. And, um, and there's more people than ever planning to work remotely, uh, continuing going forward, um, including those in rural communities. I think according to Viasat's own research, you saw something like 60 something percent of respondents saying that they would like to continue working from home um, if they're offered that. So a couple of questions. Um, has the pandemic been a strain on your network? And um, how does Biasat hope to support the future of remote work in rural communities um, through expansion or improvements to speeds and, and so on? Yeah. So so there's no question that when the pandemic hit and all of a sudden, not just the United States, but the world went on lockdown kind of in March of 2020, um, that was a learning experience for us. Um, all of a sudden, you know, typically our network sees during the day, not a whole lot of usage. And then in the evenings, it spikes when everybody gets home from work and from school and they start watching a lot of Netflix. And suddenly we had this, this what, what was a peak busy hour went to a peak busy day. And all day there was just incredible amounts of usage. Um, Zoom and Netflix being, you know, two of the, two of the largest ones, right? Um, yeah. And so what we did when, when that happened, we knew we had to adapt quickly. Um, and change some things, we, we went and made sure that all of the work from home applications. So a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, my kids were having a, a school from home and to be online every day um, via Zoom and using other applications. And we made sure that those applications were whitelisted, so to speak, so that we made sure that, though, that there was never a time when those applications were deprioritized. Um, in the same way, all of the um, work from home 
applications like Zoom would be the best uh, best example of that. But Teams and um, and uh, WebEx, etc. We made sure all of those worked well, no matter where somebody was in their cycle of how much data they use in a given month. We made sure that those were prioritized um, so that people could continue to s school from home, work from home without having to worry that their broadband connection was going to fail them. Right. So we did that and we didn't charge any extra money for it. Um, we did that because it was the right thing to do as if corporate citizens and in, in, in what we're doing felt the responsibility to do that. Um, we, as we look to the future, I think we've learned a lot from that. And we absolutely do continue to look at the amount of people that have, that are using zoom that while it spiked, it has maintained high and it's, and this is because we're not totally out of the woods on this pandemic yet. Um, but we don't think it'll, we don't think it'll, it'll ever go back to um, what it was. People will continue to work from home. And so we're making sure that our service is designed to support um, a lot of that increased schooling and, and, and working from home going forward. Well, that's great. Thank you so much, Evan. I really enjoyed talking to you and I look forward to keeping up with your work. Thanks a lot, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Thank you again so much, Evan, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Tian Fu, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.